Coming to you live from the Cross Country Mortgage Campus in Berea, Ohio, this is Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Here are your hosts, Bo Bishop and Nathan Zagura. Oh, let's do it live on a sun-kissed Friday edition of the program, Merely Bo and the Great Gibby. How you doing, buddy? Oh, you know, just rolling away here on this Friday. Uh... Uh, I would like to be outside. Uh, unfortunately, Same. we we all can't be Nathan Zagura, who take this is his third consecutive Friday off. Is <laughs> well, not that I'm me. counting, but he's I, the franchise. He's the franchise. Let it, you know. Yeah, um, well. This is one of those ones where uh, if you could, you should. Like if you see it, because we're, we're not going to be great next week. So this is kind of the this week's been incredible. Weekend looks like it's mostly well. Sunday could get dicey, but Saturday's going to be a good day. Um, and so, you know, this, this was one where if you see it out on the calendar in the, in the four day, the extended, you want to, you want to pop in and take full advantage of it. So, uh, Godspeed Z, uh, I know you'll hit him straight. You know, unfortunately he's no, not even like, we're rooting t- for the exact opposite. You know, he's going to shoot 73 or something like that and be pissed Boy, he off. He plays about the same it, so. course every day. He better yeah. shoot 73. Well, that's true. Um, so to be fair, I play the same course a lot and I don't ever break a hundred. I don't think, um, <laughs> Hey, I wanted and to do I, an exercise. And I wouldn't either. I want to do an exercise for you. Um, and if, trust me, it'll get to where it, – it'll get there. It'll get to football. But I just wanted to start with the National Hockey League for just a moment uh, before we get to the Marquise Goodwin news. And it's good news. It's just officially he's locked in. Um, so there is a team two hours down the road from us here uh, in Columbus, the Columbus Blue Jackets, who play in the NHL. Um, they have been the worst organization in the NHL from a – they're great human beings, but the worst organization in the NHL from a win-loss perspective going back to the year 2000. So they have the lowest winning percentage, the fewest amount of wins in the NHL since 2000. Um, uh, at that point, they're an expansion team. So they've come in. They've had no lottery luck. They've picked three times in the top three. Uh, Rick Nash is the only one they really hit on. Um, there is a – they have been the worst team in the NHL all season save for a day here or there. They've been out of it since November 5th, quite honestly. Definitely out of it before Christmas. There is a generational player that is available in this year's NHL draft. So in hockey, these guys come around uh, every seven, eight to ten years, and you can see them coming. Like it's something that is you, – you know about them from the time they're 13, 14. So – for sure, like Mario Lemieux is this. The Pittsburgh Penguins tanked to get Mario Lemieux. Sidney Crosby was absolutely this. This kid who's playing in Edmonton right now named Connor McDavid, he's this. He scored 64 goals this year. Typically, when you get one of these players, you win the cup. This year, there is a generational player named Connor Bedard. I'm not going to bore you with that, and just to know that he is of that ilk by people who pay attention to it. Going into last night, the Columbus Blue Jackets had the worst record in the NHL by one point. For the people who don't follow hockey, if you get if you go to overtime, you get a point. If you get an overtime win, you get two points. If you get a win period, you get two points. If you do nothing, you get no result, you get zero. The Blue Jackets have two games left, one last night against Pittsburgh and one tonight against the Sabres. Had they lost both games, they would be locked into no worse than the third overall pick. They would have a 25% chance of drafting number one overall, um, and they would have a 100% tra- chance and a 50% chance of drafting first or second. And there's a, the kid who's second is really good, too. He's a center at Michigan who's kind of not quite generational but close. 
So they have a 50% draft chance of drafting first and second. The team that they were competing against is a team is Anaheim Ducks. They have not won a game in 13 games. So they've been tanking for they, all they of, are doing their best tank job. They're doing it. So they they have the Anaheim Ducks have not won a game in 13 games. They've lost 13 consecutive games. The Blackhawks were in the mix as well. All the Blue Jackets had to do was lose last night and lose tonight, accumulate no points. They would draft number one overall. They would draft no worse than third, and they'd have a 50% chance of getting either the franchise guy to 25% clip or the number two guy at the other 20-some percent chance. So they won. They sent the game to overtime against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh eliminated from the playoffs for the first time in 16 years. Send the game to overtime so they get a point. They were up. They were down two to one. Send the game to overtime to get a point, and then they win it in overtime. They win the game. So they went from 100% chance of drafting in the top three to, depending on what happens tonight, they could fall all the way to like the fourth, and then you have a 70% chance of drafting fifth and sixth. Just by what they did last night, it now is like a th- – at best, even if they lose tonight, a 13% chance of getting this kid and a 60% chance of picking fourth or fifth. So that's how damaging it was. In, in other words, it's the most meaning, meaningful, meaningless, meaningful game you could ever win, as they did. It's very similar to what the Texans and Colts did. I told you all of that to get you back to this. Wouldn't the NFL – so I've spent the better part of two months monitoring this, right, because of what I do in the morning, about where they are because a generational kid, all of this. We talk about this quite a bit just because the big picture of it, it's a direct correlation. You get one of these guys, you're relevant, you win a cup. It's just – it's straightforward. None of these guys who are this type of guys don't win a cup, and McDavid will win one eventually. Wouldn't the NFL benefit from a system like this? While it absolutely hand kneecapped – the Blue Jackets, because they won a meaningless game last night, and they'll probably win tonight and drop all the way to the fourth spot and, and have almost no chance at landing in the top two or three. Does the NFL benefit from a lottery at I the end? I hate the lottery. I, I, I don't like it. Why? I, I, have, have we see, can we verify that teams are actually tanking? in the National Football League. Like, we we talk about how they're set up. We we know that Tampa Bay well, is going to trot out Kyle Trask and our former quarterback. And yeah. you go, well, are you really, are you really sure about that? Mm-hmm. I, I, I just feel like the NFL is still competitive even when you're bad. Like, you don't want to be the okay. team that loses to a team like the Houston Texans. You know, when we went mm-hmm. to Houston last year, you're going, ugh. Uh, there's a lot already on the plate here with it being Deshaun's mm-hmm. first game and back here in Houston. And and they're really bad, and you don't want to be the team that loses to them. Yeah. And and I just feel like in the NBA it is just, eh, we're, we're going to trot out our D-League team. Yeah, Tankapalooza, <laughs> and, for sure. Yeah. So that's my argument this. on that. Okay, I would I would push back on the NFL from the standpoint of, so there's the NHL and the NHL and NFL have one thing in common. They're both collision sports. So like this is what happened to the Blue Jackets last night. Like it's physical. You put on the sweater, you lace up the skates, and you go. Like can you really half-ass that? It's not like basketball. 
you can you can absolutely half-ass basketball. We see it all the time. You can do the same thing in baseball based on who you trot out there to pitch or who you put in the lineup. You really in in hockey it's hard. Like what are you going to have them do? Just like skate around and not score? Like don't shoot on net, just have them just figure eight, figure skate for the game. I mean, is that what you're going to do? I don't know. My pushback to you is I I will acknowledge some parts of what you said from as in, in the validity in the sense of this. No team in the NFL, and you were here when we won one game in two years, no team going into those seasons abs- believes that they're going to be the worst team in the NFL. You can look at your roster and say we're not very good, but nobody goes into a season and says, oh my, we're losing every game. we we got to be in a position to draft number one overall. My pushback to you would be this, and this is really what happened down in Columbus. Once it start going bad, go ahead and lean into it. So we saw the Colts do this with Peyton Manning. There was no – if Peyton Manning doesn't get hurt, then they don't have Andrew Luck, obviously. And Manning plays the rest of his year, rest of his career with the Colts. Manning got hurt. They knew that Andrew Luck was waiting out there, and so they leaned into it. We saw this in Jacksonville, too, when Trevor Lawrence was in the draft. My goodness, we saw it with Cincinnati when Joe Burrow was in the draft. Like – when those things happen, you don't set out. The Bengals didn't set out that year thinking that they were going to pick number one overall. No chance. Things happened. Injuries happened. And then all of a sudden they found themselves in a position. And I don't even know if at that point, at the time when they started to realize what was going on, if they were absolutely dead set even on Burrow. Like, would they have even known at that point? But Herbert was in that draft too. So was, uh, wasn't that the, was that the Tua draft? Yeah, Tua yeah. was in that draft too. So all of a sudden, though, you find yourself in that spot, and then I do think NFL teams lean into it. So I will agree with you that even a team like Tampa, with their situation, they are looking, they're not, those guys aren't going to camp and going, we're going two and 15. They're, they're not thinking that. But if, it, if you wake up all of a sudden, you're 0 and 11, then I do think you see teams lean into, or if you see teams at, at two and 10, three and 10, then you lean into it. To increase your chances. Well, Look what it costs I, NFL teams to move up. The the years that we won one game or the year like we went three and thirteen a couple times in the years yeah. I've been doing this. Um you know, you're out of it before October one. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean the first week in October you're going, All right, we gotta pivot. What are we gonna talk about for a four hour pregame show every week? Correct. So uh, I I understand. I just, I, I don't, and I, I think this is how the NFL is able to keep their parity. Does that make well, any sense? Yeah, but I, you know, I mean, just because you pick high, which we've done many times over twenty years here, doesn't yes. necessarily mean you hit on it. Oh, correct. You know, I mean, and the same thing would be true of. Um, I mean, the other thing with the NFL is, and I think this even, it buttresses your point a little bit, is it's it's not that often that there is a consensus. You know, like the Lawrence Luck, Manning, that type of player, a lot of times there's not a consensus around it. I mean, heck, there were even people arguing Manning versus Ryan Leaf all the way back in 98. I mean, that was yeah. there were people that were arguing that, that Manning wasn't a gamer, couldn't win the big game, so forth and so on. So... 
you know, that was happening there. So there isn't quite the consensus. Um, I think you can still keep the parity with a weighted lottery. And I think in a league where there's, you think about the NFL network, you think about they're selling everything, every, every sort of platform, a live draft lottery in the NFL would be a bonanza. And I do think it would keep from happening what happened at the end of that Colts season when they end up with Andrew Luck, at the end of that Bengals season when they end up with uh, Joe Burrow, and at the end of what we saw last year when Lovey Smith went and won. And you went, what are you doing? Like, the what Blue are you Jackets doing, man? The, the, you're saying the Blue Jackets took a page out of Lovey's yeah. book last night. They did. Yeah. That's what happened. That's absolutely what happened. Um, and the other so thing that you, it does, it, and I'm doing your, this selfishly too, we benefit because we can because it's fun to talk about it because there isn't certainty. It's good content. Absolutely, it is. Like when the Cavs were in the lottery, oh, they're yeah. like, well, maybe. Like, yeah, it's worth watching, kids. Yeah, you know we we've struck it a couple times, more than a couple times, when oh. we when we shouldn't have. Now, are you talking? Is the lottery and would the lottery in the NFL be every team that didn't make the playoffs, or are you just every- doing? No, it would be every team that didn't make the playoffs, and it would be weighted based on record. So the worse your record would be, the better chance you would have to pick one, but you wouldn't be guaranteeing it. And I think you could even do something like the NBA and NHL has, where if you're if you're the worst team and you have no lottery luck, you don't fall any worse than third or fourth, something like that. I just think there's an, there's an opportunity there for more intrigue around the draft process. And I'm surprised that, that they have not done it to this point. Um, that they've they've uh, they, there's no reason really not to. There's no no benefit to not doing it. There's no drama at all around number one. And if you think about what it, what it costs you to move up to, look what the Carolina had to give up to move up to one. There's tremendous value in one. I mean that Lovey Smith beating uh, Lovey Smith beating the Colts allowed for the Chicago Bears to get DJ Moore. I mean, that's huge. Huge. If the Texans do what they're supposed to do, the Bears are sitting at two. <laughs> Correct. And maybe somebody moves up to two, but you're not getting DJ Moore because Houston's getting the pick that they want at quarterback. It's, it, I don't know. It, it, I don't know. It's interesting. It's fascinating because I, I do know, you know, from from my time at ESPN Cleveland, you know, the yeah. NBA draft lottery was a big deal. Like we had oh, our gosh. own shows, like was leading it Riz up on to the jet? it, and afterward, didn't Riz go on the jet? Yes, Riz <laughs> Riz was on Dan Gilbert's jet. It's amazing. God he was him. there with Michael Simon and Machine Gun Kelly and the motliest of crews. <laughs> and they won it. And they won it. Yeah, multiple times. Yeah, it, it's – I mean, you're right. If the NFL were to do it, it would be enormous. I mean, it would – I mean, you could you could do the draft lottery at the combine. Yeah. Because normally you do the draft lottery for the NBA during a playoff, like before oh, a playoff. Oh, now you got game. an idea. Now you're on to something. First day of the NFL Combine, first night, Monday night or Tuesday night, drop a draft lottery. Feels Hello. like a win. A little bit. Yeah, feels like a win. Absolutely does. I don't know, something to think about. Uh, it's, yeah. Go ahead. 
We, we do have some uh, breaking news actually involving the NBA. And okay. it also involves our ownership group. The NBA yes. Board of Governors has officially approved the ownership share purchase of the Milwaukee Bucks by investors D and Jimmy Haslam from team owner Mark Lassery. The Haslams will join Wes Edens and Jamie Dinnan as co-owners of the Bucks. This is a majority ownership stake, it appears. No, 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 no. My minority, 25%. Is it? Yeah, I think it might be spread across. Yeah, but uh, Edens is still the, the, the boss guy. I think he saw so, the biggest percentage, right? This is where it gets interesting. The Haslam's joined Wes Edens and Jamie Dinnan as co-owners. Edens, who has purchased the team with Lassery in 2014, will serve as governor of the Bucks for the next five years, succeeding Lassery in that role. What happens after five years? I don't know. Maybe they, maybe it's a deal to buy more of it. Could be. Yeah, interesting. Well, I'm I'm happy for the. I mean, I, that's what, what I thought thing. it was minority ownership, but it, it it's twenty five percent. It's twenty five percent of the team. I I I mean, I saw that this morning that it was twenty five percent of the team. But I, I guess I don't know what percentage Edens has, or what percentage Jamie Dynan has. You know, that, that part I don't know. Either way, they're in the NBA. So Haslam Sports yeah. Group owns the Browns, the Columbus Crew, and now ownership with the Milwaukee Bucks as well. Who, yes. By the way, if the Cavs get a little play their way, which they should, into the second round, then they would be playing those Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, the number one <laughs> seed in, the, in yeah. the NBA Eastern Conference. Yeah. So Very congratulations true. to the Haslam family. Yeah, big day it's great. Uh, in this building. And yeah. Big day we for gonna Haslam. We're going to do Bucks Daily? Group. Huh? We doing Bucks Daily? I mean, <laughs> if Giannis wanted to stop by, I don't think, you know, going into game one of the Cavs playoffs, I don't know how well that plays. Well, I, but I don't I'm, think it would air on ESPN Cleveland. I'm thinking we air yeah, on ESPN I mean, Milwaukee. if Giannis wanted to call in, yeah. I mean, fine. That'd be great. We'd take him. We'd, we'd yeah, take him. Absolutely. <laughs> this from uh it is also now official uh marquise goodwin is officially a brown uh yes. that deal becoming officially announced by the browns today not goodwin sure why entering. it took so long but i don't either not. 11 season out of texas a third round pick out of buffalo we've talked about him a lot he's appeared in 102 games most recently with seattle recorded 187 receptions 3,000 yards he will be fighting for playing time uh in that receiver room um, where there's a, a pretty decent pecking order, um, but but a guy who at times has flashed. And so it's needed. Weapons, weapons, weapons. Z and I have been talking about that all spring um, and through the end of winter, and it's another weapon for Deshaun Watson, and it's good to see this finally locked up. I, I'm with you. I don't know what took so long. I, I mean, it could just been he was on vacation. <laughs> could be, yeah. He was somewhere. Players are back in the building on Monday. And is that for a – that's a mini – what is that for? So it's essentially uh, they will have their first team meeting. Uh, they will begin the off-season program on Monday. Now, it, it is voluntary. Yeah. But I'm I'm told that there will be the majority of players that will be in the building on Monday and for the week. So it's a couple weeks of workouts – uh, basically, it's working out. There, I don't think you can do anything on the field. I might be wrong on that, but 
it's all classroom and and gym you know workouts yeah and then uh then you get into the OTAs and then that leads up to mini camp it's an abbreviated schedule cuz mandatory mini camp will end on June the 8th okay okay all right there you go June 8th on mandatory mini camp yeah the final day of mandatory mini camp is June 8th so it'll be June like 5th 6th 7th and 8th okay all right there's where but, you stand yeah, yeah go ahead no 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 that's players in the building they'll be here early i'm told so okay well that'd be good to see them around and it's yeah. you know the the crazy thing about our situation is it's hard to imagine i mean i suppose if one of these rookies is a defensive lineman in the third round um and potentially maybe even a running back in the third round maybe they could play their way into being someone that was counted on i mean anybody can play their way on you have a, you're, you have a great camp and you can play yourself into into uh position and in, into time but from the standpoint of um the roster is pretty set yeah so it's, it is. it's gonna be a hard and, roster to break through and and you got eight draft picks coming up two weeks from now yeah which i'm i'm not sure I'd like to move some of those. Well, they won't. They're not taking eight. There's, I, there's no I, way. I would be shocked if they took eight. Yeah, you're gonna have. You'll either trade out. You know, I don't. Who knows? I, I don't know what the cost would be to move up um, in the third round if somebody slips. Maybe you move. Maybe you find a way to package some picks. What to about move up. even a late second? If you package, maybe. like you've Couple got two threes, threes two fours, and two fives. Yeah, yeah. Take some of that to move up to the bottom of the second round to get a guy that drops. Um, I think the two position groups that would make the sense for a trade up would be um, if somehow, some way, some receiver dropped that you loved that you that dropped into the back of the second round, that would be a reason. And then I think on the defensive front, if there's a, it's a really deep defensive end class. Um, so is that something where you could, you, there's somebody that you love in the second round at the bottom that you go up and get, and they have the assets to be able to do that. Certainly. So uh, something to watch for. Are we doing Tyvis next? Do you want to do Tyvis next? Is that what we're doing? Yeah, we can we can pivot on that. Old we want to go. So we're gonna have Kuiper at two. Yeah. All right, we'll go Mel at two. Um, we've got some around the NFL news to get to as well. Um, lots to get to here on a, a Friday edition of the program. We're off and running. Cleveland Browns Daily, eight fifty ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio on eight fifty ESPN Cleveland. There's a new way to cheer on your Cleveland Browns with the help of your favorite four-legged companion, Barking Backers, presented by Milkbone, the Browns' newest club for pet parents worldwide. Sign up today at BarkingBackers.com. Barking Backers, the fan club for dogs. Speaking of dogs, so, buddy, uh, I was shocked. Bootsy, as predicted, first into the pool. Pretty good sprint. Uh, he did put on a bathing suit, some trunks, which surprised me. I thought potentially it would just be a ripoff and, and run in the boxers. He did not. Uh, but he, he did get the swim trunks on, and he was in. I was a little surprised that Buddy Garrity did not jump in with him. Like he was, I didn't, I wasn't stopping him, but he was not sure what was going on in the water, man. And he, I mean, he's a retriever. I, I, I was surprised. There was no, uh, jump. has he gone in the water at all? No. Uh-uh. Did he, so did he no, try no point even of after the fact, after the video? No, he'd sniff around. Like the boys were kind of flopping around in there and the older two came in after lacrosse and, we're, we're in there, and he was there, and he was, like, looking around, but he wasn't – he was not locked in, which surprised me. Was he locked in with making sure that everybody was okay? Did he just lay by the pool and watch them? A lot of, 
lot of uh, walking around, keeping an eye on things. It felt like okay, that's not like, a bad kind thing. Of like, yeah, kind of like very curious about what was going on. Like when I put the auto cover on and off, he was fascinated by that. Uh, but I just thought like his natural inst- instincts as a dog that is bred to when you shoot a f- uh, a foul bird, if you will, and it falls into a uh, a lake or pond or creek or river. Uh, the first two primarily, you then go to retrieve it. And I just assumed that he would just take to that and would be hopping all over, but he was not. So I don't know. I might have to take him in there tonight and just give him a little run to see if he, see if he enjoys it. My wife says, no, she's all worried about like, uh, it's a saltwater pool. And he's like, well, what is it? What's it going to do to his coat? I'm like, he'd be fine. He's a dog. He's going to be fine. He's a dog. We'll wash him off. He's going to be fine. Both of my dogs, my one dog, we would put on a raft there you and go. He would just float around the pool with us. He Perfect. would be a little nervous, but he was like, "Yeah, oh, whatever. I'm good. I got this." This is good. Yeah, yeah. That's so. That's what we're hoping for there. Um, we we do have some news on the NFL side of things today. Nothing groundbreaking. Gerald McCoy uh, shutting it down after six uh, the six time Pro Bowler with the Bucks. We were linked to him at one point. Do, do you remember when he was here for yeah, like six hours? I do. And we kept waiting. We're like, do we record like? We're like, it's going to come. He it's going to come one. at 2 o'clock. There's movement. There's movement. People are moving around. Nothing. Nothing. 245, 250. We're like, all right, well, this isn't going to happen on our show. Do we need to pre-tape something? We did. Yeah. <laughs> did we pre-tape something? We did. We taped a <laughs> Gerald McCoy podcast edition of CBD it where that we got air. him that never made it to air. No, I remember this. So at that time, did he sign with, he signed with Carolina, right? Yeah. Is that who he signed with instead? I believe so. Was that in 19? I mean, 19. I'm going to write a book about 19. There's a lot going on in 19, brother. <laughs> Boy, a what's lot. there? 18, yeah. 18 into 19. Like, 18 into 19 stretch is that's book worthy. Oh, my God. I mean, it could start. The book starts the night you beat the Jets on Thursday Night Football. That's the start. And then it's everything that follows um but yeah this was it had to be in that year it had to be 19 that's world's team that's odell in the offseason that's all of that when we yeah because we we recorded we recorded gerald mccoy signs at the browns we were like eh, we'll just do a quick like 10 minute podcast and if it drops then we'll throw it up yeah then we're ready we were here i was here till like five o'clock on friday yeah we waited can we please go home we waited forever. I can't remember if we did it or not. We must have done it on the phone. Yeah, because that was pre-COVID, so we wouldn't have had the ability to, to broadcast from home, so it would have been on the phone. No, I think we recorded it here in studio, and then you guys left. I don't think That's you it. did it on the phone. I think you guys yeah, you got it. just said, let's just knock this out. Let's just knock it, it out. It was right after the show. Yeah, We have his stats if he signs. We know what he's He was there all day. He, he literally hung out in the cafeteria for like three hours. Yeah. He was. He was there all day. I, I, that, I wonder what prevented that from happening. Who, who will let, like, well, only Dorsey will know. He was the one involved and uh, in, in his lieutenants. Alonzo Highsmith knows where all the bodies are buried. Um, yes, he this does. From, this from uh, Bud Dupree, former Steeler, of course, and Titan, signing a one-year deal with Atlanta. Bud Dupree, already 30 years old. There was a time he was a dude. Um, 
Did not go well in Tennessee for him. Dealt with injuries. Just seven sacks in the last uh, 22 games over a couple of seasons. But he is part of a huge contingent that the Falcons have signed. Remember, they traded for Jeff Akuda last week, the former number three pick in the draft overall. Uh, they signed Jesse Bates, Calais Campbell. Um, so they've had a very busy offseason. I'm going to throw it out there. They have built themselves a squad. Why they won't go get Lamar Jackson is truly beyond me. You sure they aren't? Well, according to their owner, they're not. Yeah, I wonder if he just had to say that publicly, though. I I mean... Because I'm with you. How? It looks like a team that's trying to win now without, who yes. doesn't have a quarterback. So what's the one thing you don't have? It's It really is one you're thing. Gonna, you're really going to run out Desmond Ritter. You're really going to just throw all your eggs in that basket. I Man, can't see it. I don't know about that. Is Heineke there, too? I don't. Even maybe. still. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, yesterday, Odell Beckham Jr. officially unveiled in Baltimore as a new Baltimore Raven. Uh, he, he said didn't do it the, for the money. <laughs> no, he did not. Sure. Which, by the way, I also think it's funny. So, like, there was at one point he was talking about how everybody's doubted him. I'm thinking, dude, no one's ever doubted you. You nope. were an enormous recruit at LSU. You were a first-round receiver in the NFL. You've been an all-pro. You've Everybody's been known you're great. Forever, man. Like, no one's doubted you. You've been great forever. It drives me nuts when athletes say that. Like, no, you were identified young as being special. You were not – nobody ever looked at Odell Beckham Jr. And was like, I don't know if he'll make it. Like, he was always going to make it. Always. And then after the one-handed catch, no one ever doubted him again. Nobody. If was. anybody had a doubt, it was gone. It was gone. I mean, he was sensational during those early years with the Giants. Uh, he did say he was given no assurances that Lamar Jackson will be the quarterback of the Ravens, but he did look directly into the camera and say, Lamar, come on home. Um, and I think this probably worked for Lamar, too. It, he was, I'm sure he was excited about it, and, and this gets him a little bit of juice to play for the Ravens. We've talked about it many times. He is Odell is so popular among, among NFL players. Hey, so. and, and you know what? Great. And the yeah. first three games when Odell's got one catch – that's going to oh, go, gonna go real well. well in that locker room. No, but it's the line for bad men. That's what the money's for. No one else was going to give him 18, potential of 18, 15 guaranteed. Last one here quickly. Um, the Bucks GM, Jason Licht, has said they have no intention of trading linebacker Devin White. Remember Devin White, uh, he, of course, most famous as being a, an LSU linebacker who likes to ride horses, um, demanded a trade earlier this week. Uh, the Bucks saying no shot. Not happening on that front. Uh, we'll talk about all of these things. Spring game tomorrow down in Columbus as well. We'll do so with our good buddy Tyvis Powell. He joins the show coming up next. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. All right, welcome back into Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by Valley Bet, coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. We head out on the Twisted Tea Hard Ice Tea Hotline, official sponsor of your Cleveland Browns. Keep it twisted, Cleveland. Former Buckeye great, Cleveland Browns radio analyst, former intern of mine, and a man with an eternal smile, the great Tyvis Powell joins. How you doing on this Friday, my friend? Oh, you know, I'm just smiling my butt off. <laughs> of course you are. Why wouldn't you be? Listen, it's a beautiful Friday. You know, yeah. it's the day before the spring game. I actually got to go watch practice today. Ooh. It's just been a good day, man. It's just a good day. Oh, I got big questions for you then on that in just a second. Before I get to that, um, I wanted to add, I want to run a couple things by you from an NFL perspective, and I wanted to start with this. Do you see any any downside 
to the NFL doing a draft lottery similar to the NBA and NHL? Uh, do I see a downside to it? Not necessarily. Um, I think it would be it'd be more intriguing for the the bottom teams. You know, you know, I think it comes to a point where you get to the end of the season, and you know, there's there's no there's nothing good about winning the game. You get nothing out of winning that that was mm-hmm. the last couple of games. And obviously, we seen with the Blue Jackets. Did. Yeah, <laughs> the Blue Jackets did yesterday, but it makes it more interesting because now it's like. The, the whole tanking thing that, you know, the Dolphins got accused of, like it doesn't even matter because it's, you're not guaranteed the number one pick. So I think it makes – it will bring dollars in. You know how people tune in to see the lottery. I think that mm-hmm. the NFL, if it was a lottery, it would bring way more attention to it because the sport is just the most popular sport in America today, and I think a lot of people will be invested into it. So I don't see a downside to it. Have, have you been – have you ever been on a team – that is in that hopeless position where the I'm trying to think of all your stops and if it ever has it ever happened to you where you were in the spot where you were long eliminated and just playing out the string? Yeah, we, it was actually this would be 2017 when you know the 49ers got Jimmy Garoppolo and you know we yeah. were on this big six and old run at the end of the season. I mean, it wasn't nothing. We weren't playing. Then the next season after that, we we played another season. Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt that season. I think um, Nate, Nick Mullins was the quarterback that year. His season was not good at all. And we got to, I think we ended up being 4-12 and 12 maybe. We got to that last game against the Rams, and it was like like the starters played like a quarter. And in fact, it was just a bunch of bench players playing for the rest of the game because it didn't matter. But the only thing we had going that season was that George Kittle was on the verge of breaking the single-season mm-hmm. record. I think him and, I think Travis Kelsey broke it, then Kittle broke Travis Kelsey's record in, like, the same day or something like that. So that was the only motivation we had. But as far as winning and losing, we had no – it was no motivation to win the game at all. <laughs> I ask you that because, you know, in the NBA, you can tank and it doesn't take a physical toll. Tanking in the NFL hurts. It hurts. It's a collision sport. It's a physical game. Like, can you play – can you play the in the NFL not full throttle? I don't think you 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 can, but you you definitely should not. Um, it's it's such a violent game. If you go out there and, and you know you going half speed, and the other guys are going one hundred percent, you can get hurt doing that. So it's yeah. best that you just go out there and put your best foot forward. Like I say, I think teams disguise it by who they play. You know, you'll see a lot of starters not playing. They'll put their bench players in or their the second and third string guys in. That's pretty much how teams disguise it. Next week, our team will get here for the start of the off-season program. Um, we anticipate most of them will be here. Uh, most of them will be be here and, and be participating. There will be some probably who won't, a handful here or there. What What's the most important thing that gets done between now and the last day, which I think the last day of mandatory minicamp for us is like June 8th. Uh, what, what's job one? Well, job one is to make sure everybody gets back in shape. You know, it's for especially for the Cleveland Browns in their instance, it's defense. You know, it's a new defensive coordinator in there. So now we got to get these guys to learn these playbooks and speak the same language. I don't know how much of of Jim Swartz and Joe Woods' um, words or verbiage translates with each other. Usually, when you got a new defensive coordinator, they speak different terms. So you have to get those down. Um, understand what to, what he's looking for. So I think that's from a defensive standpoint. As far as offense goes, you got new, you got some new wide receivers in there. They need to learn the playbook. 
They need to learn the chemistry with Deshaun. They had six games with them last year, but obviously in those six games we've seen like they, they weren't used to scramble drill from a receiver yeah. standpoint, an offensive line standpoint. I mean, those guys were getting holding calls. So you have to, you have to put that in practice and understand how you want to utilize all of these new weapons that you have because you want to try to please everybody. But when that, when training camp comes around, you need to have a good game plan and understand where every how everybody can contribute to the win. And I think that's what OTAs and mini camp is for. It's just getting that thing down and seeing what everybody's made of and making sure everybody's on the same page. How how big of a challenge is it from a ter- what like from a terminology standpoint? How how tough is that? Because and how you know because a lot of times sometimes they're, they're you're teaching the same thing but almost in a different language, right? Yeah, it's, it's so for it's like you can they might it might be called cover three. Like Jim knows is gonna run he's gonna run the same thing single high safety cover one cover three. And you know it might be a hook dropper. You might call it a hook, but he might call it a buzzer. So it's like it's two mm-hmm. totally different. It's, it's that. It's the little things like that where you have to learn how to speak the same language. Because if you if you go out there and say, hey, I'm the buzz player, and Joe, and Joe Woods' defense, that might be the guy that's, that's got the sideline, the flats in the sideline. But in yeah. his thing, it might be a vertical hook guy. So if you tell a guy from last season, hey, I'm a buzzer, but you're speaking Jim knows, he'll think that <laughs> he'll think it's a hook, but you actually buzzer. So that's it, that's where it can get confusing. That's why you got to make sure that everything's on the same page. And very seldomly do defensive coordinator change their verbiage. They make you change. So um, I actually struggled with that a little bit when I um, went to Denver. Denver has something like that where they called their buzzers the hook players and they called it something. Else. They called them flat droppers or something like that. And that was confusing. I was <laughs> I was coming down yeah. and I was buzzing. Everybody was looking at me like, "What are you talking about?" So, uh, it is—it's uh, something real. You got to get on the same page. You know, you mentioned uh, Deshaun and talking to the great Tyvis Powell, uh, former Buckeye great, longtime NFL vet. Um, when you when you think about Deshaun Watson and you think about um, a, a an off season program that he's going to start on Monday, without the cloud over him in terms of what suspension could come, and from Kevin Stefanski's perspective. Alex Van Pelt's perspective that you know you got him and now you can just go full throttle what do you what do you think will be the biggest difference in having that information and what do you expect them to do with Watson that maybe they weren't able to do last year because you never really knew until I mean heck we were all the way in camp when we finally knew how long he's going to be out yeah I think I think they tried to do a really good job last year with trying to get him as many reps as possible um, you know, we heard about obviously Jacoby Brissett being the backup, and you know, thank God he was a pro because he was he was taking a bunch of mental reps when we all thought that he should be the one getting a lot of those reps. But they understood that Deshaun didn't play last year. I think now it's just about getting that communication with him because he only had the preseason. And he had those six games where yeah. he was able to, you know, be on the same talk to Kevin Stefanski through the helmet and be able to take what Stefanski's saying, give it to the offense and go out there and run the offense and command the offense. I think now you have to you have to continue to feed him those reps because out of those six games he doesn't have a lot. They have to be able to be on the same page, watch the same film together. And it's just about him being rusty and getting his confidence back. You know, we've seen him play some good ball last year where he made some throws where you've seen it. He was like, okay, he's, it's still there. But it never was that confidence. I think I've seen him one time 
where he had some confidence. I think it was against Baltimore. He broke on like a 20-yard run, got up and did like a nice little first down dance. It was like that That was the energy that I was yeah. waiting to see him get. And it's like he kind of, to me, with all the stuff that was going on, it's like he didn't want to put that out there because he was trying to, you know, keep a clean image. You know, he didn't want no – he already had the negativity. He didn't want to bring his a cocky ego to the field. But that's who he is. When he plays his best football, he has a cocky attitude on the field. And he needs to get that back. He needs to get his swag back on the field. If he does that. I think that the sky's the limit. We'll see the Deshaun that we've seen in Houston, the guy that, you know, he scored, he played a guitar. You know, that, that's, yeah. that's the guy that we that they need to see for the Cleveland Browns because what it does is if people feed off of that energy, teammates feed off that energy. You see somebody get up and do some dancing, it's like, man, I want to do some dancing. So yeah. it, it's, it's something that just he needs to get that back for himself. All right, you were uh, one of the swaggiest athletes uh, around in scarlet and gray. The socks were always scrunched. Uh, the shoes were always clean. Not quite to the level of Braxton Miller, but I don't know that anybody was that. But close. You're in the no, vicinity. Braxton, Braxton got special different. shoes, man. I, I, it was a couple of games. I look at Braxton and be like, Where did, did we got those? <laughs> <laughs> he would... The footwear especially was always unique, my friend. Like, I don't think those are in the catalog. Um, but I, because of that, I want to ask you this. So Elijah Moore, I, I saw this earlier in the week. He uh, put So he wore number eight with the Jets, which I think is pretty cool. So he wrote eight or zero. Now, I'm not going to tell you how I feel about zero. Um, I'm curious which one you would do, eight or zero, which one looks better? Eight. Eight Same. for me. I I'm not I'm not a fan of the zero at all. Um, I always thought it was good. Like if you're if you're a D, in college, I don't think you could do it in the NFL. But in college, D linemen that wear it and linebackers that wear it, that tight ends, I'm cool with that. But as far as the DB goes, I'm not for it. I just think it's a wide number. Like I think it's kind of wide. <laughs> and it makes I agree. The jersey. I, I, to me, I, I don't. Maybe it's just me thinking this, but I just think it's wild. I just don't like the number zero. Now I get that people will say I wear zero because it's zero. You go get zero completions, or I get all that talk. Yeah. But like, I, everybody knows in the secondary, the number to wear is two. If anybody that wears number two in the yeah. secondary is definitely that guy. That's because of prime. Yeah, Deion Sanders. That's it. it. Yeah. Prime or two. He started <laughs> exactly. it. I'm with you on zero. To me, every time I see zero on somebody, it just looks like an O. Yeah, I'm not with it. I'm not for it. I see that Greg Newsom is flirting with the idea. I mean, listen, maybe he can pull it off. I I just, I'm not, to me, it's not a thing. I'm with you. Uh, let's let's do a couple of minutes on the Buckeyes spring game tomorrow. Uh, some juice out of it. There was a quarterback competition, but now not. So, I guess the competition is still going on. Although I I believe that they've already made their mind, even if they're not saying it out loud. Uh, but I was excited mm-hmm. to see Devin Brown play um, in his first full spring and and his first year here to see how he could push a little bit. Uh, Kyle McCord is the other one who's fighting for it. Former five star kid out of Philly, former high school teammate of Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, you saw practice. It's three straight first-round picks out of Ohio State at quarterback. Does it feel to you like McCord has that juice? You know, he actually does have that ability. Now, Monday I've seen him miss maybe one or two throws, you know. But today I've seen him. Me and Josh Perry was actually out there watching it together, and he threw a nice little out route from the far hash, and it was on the money to Cardinal Tate. So 
who's the name that everybody needs to get familiar with because that kid can go. But I like Kyle McCord. I like. I think he can sling the ball with the best of them. Obviously, you know, I seen him on Monday. He completed a lot of deep balls, which is not great for the secondary, but. It was able to see that he can make those throws and make those big time throws. Nice little seam route to to Marvin Harrison. I was like, yeah, this. So to me, the throwing ability is there. Um, I I have to see how he commands the offense when uh when the season comes around. But I think he already had the leg up anyway, bro. I mean, yes. he, he, we saw him uh, what two years ago. Two years when ago, CJ had in the Akron game, and he did a good job commanding that offense, slinging the ball through a touchdown. So. The confidence is already there, you know, and like I say, naturally he got that, that chemistry with Marvin Harrison. I think to me it was a layup. Even though Devin Brown may be the better athlete as far as mobility goes, I sure. just think that you can't mess with that that chemistry. And when it comes game time, you got to go with the guy that you trust that can go in the game and get it done. And what better than the guy that's already done it? All right, you be honest with me. Could your secondary group – have covered these Buckeye receivers? <laughs> Actually, what group are you talking about? <laughs> it's two different. It's, it's, are you you want to go 14 or 15? I'll let you pick it. Listen, all I'm going to say is 2015 consisted of two first-round picks yep. at corner, a second-round pick, and an undrafted safety as in myself. So, with that being said – I would have from a talent standpoint here, I would go with twenty fifteen. But twenty fourteen, Duran Grant was he can bang with the best of them and obviously we won a natty. He was our number one corner back then. So I think they would I think I I, I tell you what. I think that I, I we would be up for the challenge for sure. I think Marvin Harrison is a problem. Through game plan and preparation, I think we'd take him. I really do. Marvin, it's funny because people, you know, you think about what Brian Hartline, a Northeast Ohio guy, another one of them that uh, has done at the receiver position there. It's just next level. I mean, it's just they're coming off of two first round picks at receiver last year. Uh, you're going to get another one in Jackson Smith and Jigba this year. And now Marvin Harrison, I got people down there saying he's the best of the bunch. What do you think? It's unfair what, what Brian Hartline is doing. Marvin Harrison, out of all of those, <laughs> it's, it's crazy because the difference between him is he runs great routes. He's fast. He got great hands. And the difference is he has the size, man. Yep. I I never realized how big he was until I seen him on Monday. I'm like, dude, this, he might be 6'3", six, 6'4", six, legit. Like, because I'm 6'3", and he with me. So I'm like, and the guy is just physically gifted. He, he might be the best one out of the body. And that's crazy to say. But as crazy as I say that, this Cardinal Tank kid, a bow, I'm telling you, yeah. I've been hearing the about him. I've seen it for myself the past two times I've been. I went Monday and I went Friday or today. Yeah. And the kids do stand out. He that's that number seventeen. Y'all should invest in some stock in that kid because he is really good. Jeez, I still think I have some seventeens for the boys from the Jalen Marshall era. They might still be there. I might still have a 17 somewhere. Hopefully um, he don't change his number. But, yeah, that that will be – He, I believe he will play this year. They say that he is like how Marvin Harrison was as a freshman. Yeah. We didn't get to see him because, obviously, you know, you got the Garrett Wilsons and you got the Chris Olaves and JSN, so he had no time to be on the field. We didn't get to see him to the Rose Bowl. But this kid here, they say he is on that same level. He's a pro. He handles his business. And that kid can absolutely ball. 
All right, let me give you one. I want one defensive one. I'll get you out of here on this one um, because I'm hearing a lot about uh, Sonny Styles, who switched his number from 20 to 6. Um, he's a safety currently. I wouldn't be surprised if some people tried talking him into being a hybrid player, much like Isaiah Simmons was at Clemson. Uh, what What did you see out of the secondary and specifically Styles? Well, believe it or not, we know Denzel Burke struggled a little bit. Um, he had a he's had a pick he had a pick on Monday when I watched it. He had a pick again today when I watched. So he's okay. making some plays there. Um, he's stepping up. I'm, he, I think he's really going to have a bounce back season. We didn't get to see Jordan Hancock last year. But I like his movements. I like the way that he moves. And I like this Igbenosa kid that we got from, I think he's from Ole Miss. He's the one that's come in the program and really got people having to step their game up because that kid can absolutely go. When it comes to Sonny, though, Sonny, when you look at him, when you get to see him, man, that kid is physically gifted. He moves very well for his size. They they trying to figure out exactly where they want to put him. Um, he's been in the post the last couple of times I've seen him, which I don't know how much how I feel about that. I would like to see him more closer to the ball. You get yeah. a kid like that who's physically gifted like that and is very physical when it comes to making tackles. I think you need to put him around the ball. I don't want them to make that mistake of keeping him in the post just to try to keep him on the field. Then you got to make a you got to let playmakers be playmakers and be around that ball. So I'll be interested to see what they do with him. But he did disappoint me. They ended practice today. It was like a scramble drill. The quarterback throws it up towards the out of bounds. Sonny goes to pick it right out of bounds, like where he was going to have two feet in, and he dropped it, bro. Oh, I was sad. Like, oh, <laughs> we hate to see that. Man, he don't like nice things, man. But you know what? I'm not worried about it. Uh, the kid moves well. <laughs> to the fact that he was able to put himself in position to make a play, that's about 95% of the battle. He just got to reward himself. Good talking to you, buddy, as always. Thanks for your time. No problem, y'all. Y'all have a good one. All right, that's our uh, great friend of the program, Tyvis Powell, of course, uh, on the Browns radio network, and, of course, a former Buck, a great former Cleveland Brown. He joined in the Twisted Tea Hotline, brought to you by Twisted Tea Hard Ice Tea, official sponsor of your Cleveland Browns. Keep it twisted, Cleveland. Coming up next, you'll hear from Mel Kuyper Jr., uh, a smattering of conversation around the NFL draft. That's coming up next. You listen to Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by BallyBet. Coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. What a medical mistake caused your injury? Call the medical malpractice attorneys at 1-800-ELK-OHIO. Elk and Elk is a proud partner of your Cleveland Browns. Let's hear from Mel Kuyper Jr. Here's some highlights from ESPN legendary NFL draft analyst Mel Kuyper Jr. His pre-draft conference call with the media. Let's have a listen. Hey, Mel, appreciate you doing this. I uh, want to ask you, uh, over uh, this past season, there were twice as many quarterbacks six foot one and under to start games as there were 10 years ago. Um, why, why is there a trend towards, you think, towards smaller, uh, maybe even more athletic quarterbacks than there were 10 years ago? Well, the shotgun, uh, you're so deep in the shotgun now, you're away from the line of scrimmage. Uh, you have sight lines now that you didn't have before. Uh, certainly, you know, you look at the way they spread the field now with so many receiving options uh, that you can get the ball out quick. Uh, you know, I think Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, Russell Wilson made these quarterbacks a lot of money that are coming into the draft, you know, at 5'10", 5, 5'11", 5, 6 feet, uh, proving he can do it. Kyler Murray as well. Um, and then certainly, uh, you know, Drew Brees. So Michael Vick was only six feet tall. 
uh, five eleven and a half, six feet. So we have had successful quarterbacks uh, that have won big in the NFL and won Super Bowls like Russell did uh, that have been that size. So now once that happened, nobody cares anymore. So size went by the boards. And you see now all of a sudden you're looking at Bryce Young, number one pick overall. It's not just the height, it's the size. We have not had a Bryce Young in the draft. We've had quarterbacks that didn't have the ideal at the time height, but they had the weight and they had the frame. Bryce Young doesn't have either. That's why he's an outlier. He's he's a once in a lifetime quarterback. We have never in the history of the common draft had a quarterback his size, 5'10 and a quarter, only probably going to play at 190, 185 go in the first round, let alone number one overall. Then you get into, okay, Stetson Bennett, Georgia, won two national titles. Jake Hayner, Fresno State. Those quarterbacks that are getting a chance now because of the, the quarterbacks that were in the six-foot range that, that made it big. So, again, you know, Bryce has been helped by Russell and Murray, uh, and the other guys are just helped by the fact that six-foot quarterbacks have, have shown because of the way the league is now, protecting the quarterback. I always say they, they protect you but they don't protect you from the pain. You get the penalty, but you still get the pain. So we act like they protect the quarterback. You're still getting hit. You're still getting hurt. You're still feeling the pain, but the penalty flag's thrown. So that's a little bit of a misnomer there for me. But uh, the shotgun, I think, and the way you spread the field now with so many multiple receiving options helps the quarterback get the ball out quicker and protect his body. Hi, Mel. Uh, thank you. Uh, last year, we saw like five or six draft day trades uh, in the bottom end of the first round at 20 and below. Um, do you see, I mean, a lot of times if there's a quarterback uh, who's a late first rounder, you see movement. Do you, what do you think about uh, that? Do you think, do you expect to see a fair chance of moves late in the first round again? Possibly. I had the Hendon Hooker trade for that reason, get that fifth year option on Hendon Hooker at Seattle could be Minnesota, they just didn't have a, don't have a second-round pick, so that kind of hurt me in terms of thinking that they could maybe make that move, maybe a one next year if they want to do that. So there's ways to get around not having a two if you really want to get a guy like Hooker in the late first. Um, there's certainly a chance Baltimore, as we discussed, always likes to trade down. GM Eric DaCosta, you know, to pick up a, a two, which they don't have. Uh, in the Roquan Smith trade, they lost that two. So they could move off of 22, move down, and still get – a DJ Turner, say, from Michigan, who was coached by at Michigan, their defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald. So it's trades like that could happen. Um, you know, I had Pittsburgh taking a receiver. They haven't taken a receiver since 06. Uh, but if they go corner there, or, or they, if they want a receiver, maybe they trade down or they take a corner. If they feel, hey, we're, we haven't taken a receiver since 06, we're going to go corner. That could affect them a little bit because then they say if they want a receiver, they could move down and still get a pretty good one. Um I think Seattle at 20, they already make a pick at five. They could move off at 20 and move down possibly. Um, you could see, like I say, teams like Philadelphia, like I have them moving out of the first round, certainly Kansas City, New Orleans, any of those teams at the end of the first round could move out for a team looking to move in and get either a guy that slid further than they expected or that quarterback. And to go to your question about trades, it, it, there's so much mixed opinion. There's not a lot of guys with first-round grades. I mean, you get down to with 15, 20 guys. So when you get into the late first, you don't have a first-round grade on a player. Teams will want out. And somebody's always going to be high on a guy that slides down a little bit. They have a different – they have a higher grade on than the other teams do. They may want to go up and get. So in a, in a draft like this, which it's not a really strong draft, you know, it's one of those drafts where you got to really pick your spots, 
count on your evaluators or scouts to really line these guys up properly. Uh, I said a couple of months ago, if you get a, if you have three years from now, you get an A or A plus grade or a B plus grade, you should give your scouts a raise because this is a draft where you're going to earn your money. Uh, this is a tough draft to evaluate. A lot of mixed opinion. A lot of players are tough to evaluate. So because of that, to answer your question, I would expect some maybe two or three trades between say 18 and 31. Hey Mel, thanks for doing this. Uh, question for you, just kind of big picture. Um, in late teens, early twenties. You have teams like, uh, you know, Pittsburgh, uh, the Ravens, Chargers, Minnesota. A lot of them need the same kind of prospect. You know, edge rusher, wide receiver, cornerback. I'm just wondering how you think that might affect, you know, the notion of either trading into that that spot to get to jump another team or trading back, and you know how that kind of might affect other teams and their ability to move around there. Yeah, it depends who you really like. I mean, the, the guys in there, there's, I say, again, there's super mixed opinion on a lot of these guys. So where one team may like them, I don't know if you can build a consensus on other teams liking them equally as well. Some fit different schemes, you know, than, than others. Um, that's why I look at Kalijah Kansi fits as a three technique. He's not going to fit a three, four team. You know, you got guys who can play up and down. How do they view some of the tight ends? Are they, they, they want more of an H-back move guy, which is what Dalton Kincaid and Luke Musgrave are, or they want more of an inline guy, which is what Michael Mayer and, and Darnell Washington are. Um, the receivers, do you want a speed guy who's great after the catch and electric, like, say, Flowers? Do you want a great route runner like Jordan Addison? Um, you know, how do you view that? Do you want a guy that has great talent and potential, but body catches a little too much and had some drops in Quentin Johnson from TCU? So. And then where's B. John Robinson fit in the running back? Uh, mixed opinion on Lucas Van Ness, the, the, the potential pass rusher out of Iowa. Um, so it just varies. I mean, Brian Brzee out of Clemson. Now, here's a defensive tackle, played great as a true freshman, uh, then injured. Uh, and obviously, with, you know, with the situation there, uh, the tragedy was his sister passing away. Uh, he had a lot to deal with mentally and physically. So Brian Brzee's active a player. He's out of Damascus High School here in Maryland. Great kid. A tremendous player as a freshman. I think he's going to go in the first round now, but some think second round. So, again, those are some of the guys that are, I think are kind of wild cards as to where they are slotted in the draft. We always talk about Carter, Brissy, you just mentioned, Cansey out of pit we talk about. But uh, is there anyone that you're looking at that you feel like could be a, a dominant in, in interior defensive lineman that we're not talking about that could end up being a really good steal? It's a great question. I think Roy at LSU, I've talked about him as an underrated guy. Have not yet mentioned Mozzie Smith, who's a talented kid. Defensive line coaches need to work with him to maximize that ability, but he's got a chance as a second-round pick out of Michigan. Carl Brooks is a really intriguing guy out of Bowling Green. The production in the Mid-American Conference was outstanding. He can play, I think, as a 3-4 end. He can be a 4-3 defensive tackle. Uh, he's got a lot of scheme versatility. I think he could be a third-round pick that wasn't invited to the combine that will surprise people. Uh, Keanu Benton at Wisconsin. People love the potential. I didn't see the production. Uh, I think he could go second or third round. Colby Wooden out of Auburn's versatile. I see him as more of a three technique. We'll see about him. You want a nose tackle. It's uh, Siaki Apu-Ika from Baylor. Uh, Gervon Dexter tested well out of Florida. Had his moments. I like to see more consistency there. Uh, Clark at, o at Coastal Carolina could be a day three guy. I thought Coburn at Texas played well. Didn't test great. Uh, Jalen Redmond at Oklahoma is another guy. Broderick Martin, Western Kentucky. Byron Young, Alabama. Uh, Ojomo at uh, Texas. Uh, there's a lot of defensive tackles, but I think Carl Brooks, because he was not invited to the combine at a bowling green. You could put him at end or tackle uh, for the reasons I talked about, the versatility from a scheme standpoint. 
But I think Cardinal Brooks is interesting. But Roy at LSU is one of my more underrated players in this draft. There are people who are, and I get it, who are Jeremiah guys or, you know, some of these new age guys. And, and we love Dane. And uh, there's a lot of great people out there. But when it comes time to watch the draft, I'm a Kuiper guy, man. I need to hear his acts. I want to hear his voice. I want to hear his takes. Um, he's It's so fascinating. Like, he's he's one of those guys who just invented the medium. He just created the job. Didn't even exist before him. He's the only man to ever have it. it, it he didn't. It, it It is crazy. And it is. He, is just, he is just an encyclopedia. Like, it, it's one of those things where you can ask him about any player. And, and yeah. not just, like, in April leading up to the draft. Like, he, right. he did a show, I think it was Darian Mel on ESPN mm-hmm. Radio on Saturday mornings. I can remember, like, 10 years ago. They would start asking him. Dari would try to make him miss, <laughs> like in January, <laughs> and he would bring up a name, and he'd be like, and, "And I mean, literally, like throwing darts at like a, a list of like seven hundred players." Yeah, and Mel's like, "Oh yeah, blah 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 blah." Now, maybe is it staged? I don't think so. Like we we had him on CBD a few times. Every guy we've ever asked him about, he never knew that we were going to ask him about him. <laughs> yeah, does not need a prep. He does no. not need to know the questions asked for him beforehand. He'll be just fine, uh, knows it, and still appears to have the exact same passion for it that he had 30-some years ago when he started doing it. Still has it, man. Yeah, and that's inter- you say that and, that, and that's interesting to me because I feel like Todd McShay has gone the other way. Now, I know Todd's had some medical stuff going on, and yeah. he's had his share of issues, but like last week his conference call, and we played some of it, I mean, mm-hmm. he didn't know certain guys. Like, he yeah. just openly was like, I really don't know anything about that guy. Yeah. And that's not how he used to be. Like, no. he, was the, he was the heir apparent. And right now, I, I think Mel has said, eh, I'm still the king. Yeah. And, I, you know, I mean, Jordan Reed's great. Yeah. I think Jordan Reed is ascending. Matt Miller, who I know we've had on a few times. Matt's Matt at ESPN is, now, right? Matt's at ESPN. Yeah. Like they've they've got this stable of draft guys, but I don't know if anybody's really positioned themselves as a clear cut number two anymore to Mel Kuyper. I would agree with that. Um, and you, you mentioned some of the you know some of the issues with McShay beyond that out of his control. But yeah, you, I've noticed that uh, with him as well. Now, just imagine bring it full circle. Now, imagine all of these guys sitting around a table when they're doing the draft lottery. Now we've got to give it to you. I'm well, you're really, programming. you're really trying. I mean, I think you it's went a home with Thomas on that. Oh, you're bringing God, it back. I, I think it's a home run. You first night of the, that first sucker. night of the combine. For that Monday night. Come on, man. That's it's got to be. Beautiful. It's got to be Monday night because on does. Tuesday, when all the GMs and coaches talk, then yeah. it's then, then it's a bonanza. Yeah, you want to know where you're picking at that point, but yeah, I think that's it. You could also, if you wanted to do it long before that like earlier in the draft process if you wanted to. Uh, you could also do it like the Saturday of the – you know, you could do it on Super Bowl Sunday. You could do it on the Saturday or Sunday of the NFC-AFC Championship. And that's where – like, yeah, I was going to say, you want to spiff up the nice five-hour Super Bowl pregame yeah. coverage? Throw, one throw a draft in lottery into the middle of it. Can I interest you in that? I feel like that would be a uh, certainly an intriguing thing, to say the least. Uh, speaking of intriguing – I don't know how closely you've looked beyond the Cavaliers and the Knicks. 
These NBA playoffs are sensational. Uh, we'll do some power rankings of that coming up. Your conversation with Glenn Cook coming up in about 15 minutes from now. You listen to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by BallyBet. Coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. All right, welcome back to Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. I mean, how, do, how the heck do we get Oldak on the board, Gibbe? I mean, like, this is like, here's a Maybach. Just stay between the navigational beacons, boys. <laughs> I, I think Oldak, I mean, is, is Oldak and I were talking about, he's been there since before the sun came up. So that is a true he's been statement. in the same room. On a Friday. It is fine in, in January when it's snowing sideways. It's not so great when it's 82 and sunny out, but we appreciate all of his help today. Chris, you in on the NFL draft lottery? Bo, I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of with you. How great. You oh, ca- at God, first, when I heard you say it, I was like, you know what? That's kind of ridiculous. The more I've heard you talk about Come it, on. I don't hate it. I mean, next year, Caleb Williams, Drake May. Come on. Super Bowl Sunday. Little half hour lottery show, ping pong balls. Who are the bottom three teams in your estimation vying for that? Bucks. And go. <laughs> Let me see. Bucks for sure. Well, what's interesting about this is like if you think about who who you the think the bottom three that you think that they will be, juxtapose what they actually were. If you went back a year ago at this time, I would have said Seattle. And th- they ended up going in the other way. Um Bucks for sure. I'm curious what Houston does. I could see Houston still being bad. And then... I feel like Chicago better take a step. Uh, I, I want to go to, to an AFC team just because the AFC is so loaded. Like, could it be Tennessee if they go... Like, if there's, you know, or... I don't know. Because the problem is, is the, the NFC is so bad that some of those teams that you feel like would be tanking are going to stumble into wins. What about the Raiders? Garoppolo, though. Like, if, I guess if he got hurt, they could lean into it. He, but he's too good to, like, tank. Arizona could absolutely be in that spot. Like, they could take a redshirt year for Kyler. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They could take a redshirt year. That would make some sense for them. A lot of these other places, though, it's hard, you know, it's hard to see. I, you think maybe somebody in the, in the NFC East, like, could the commies get bad enough to where they do it? Maybe. I don't know. I feel it's like the arrow's, the arrow's only up now that Dan Snyder is selling the team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's we, we gave the fix for that pretty quickly. Like, you just rebrand that sucker. Uh, you get that stadium built in the district, and then away you go. Um, there's, there's a lot of options there to turn that thing around. That's, that's one of the worst stewardships of an organization in the history of sport, the 20-plus years at Snyder, to take one of the most proud, wealthy – uh, organizations in the sport and, and in the old days when they when they would first do like the Forbes most valuable the then Washington Redskins were always right there with the Cowboys as the two most valuable teams in the NFL and to think what has happened there over those years is uh, a pretty stunning thing to say the least but the beautiful part of, of of my lottery proposal is you know really one through eight would all be involved you're all going to be in the mix you know and and then that changes things a great deal um, all right we've got uh, some NBA fun 
We've got, uh, obviously, we'll be paying a lot of attention tomorrow at 6. But beyond that, we'll spend some time on that, too. Um, these West, some of these West battles are nuts. I mean, Lakers and Memphis, Golden State and Sacramento, Phoenix and the Clippers, all of those would pass as conference finals. Could. The, the West is just insane. It's crazy. Just yeah. insane. I mean, everything that's going on with John Morant, and yeah, and Memphis. Uh, somehow they're the two seed. Sacramento, they just broke a giant playoffless streak, yeah. <laughs> and now they're going to be home against but Golden congratulations, State. Congratulations, you get Golden State. I saw this earlier this week that they are playing on ABC for the first time since like 2002. <laughs> Sacramento, yeah, like the Weber, Bibby, Divac, Stoyakovich Kings. That that's oh. how long you got to go back. Um, those were now, those to, were to, fun teams. They were, yeah. To me, that feels like a blink. Uh, many people listening probably weren't even alive and have no point of reference of Chris Webber, the Sacramento King. Um, but that's the way that goes. Um, all right, you want to do? You would do a little power ranking here, Gibby? Yeah, I feel like we should. Let's go. I'm for it. Uh, I mean, who who's your number one overall? Milwaukee. I mean, Chris, you follow the NBA closer yeah, than me. I, is there? I mean, it's Milwaukee, right? To me, it's got to be Milwaukee. Um, and I think the number two is Boston. Like, to me, the top two teams in the NBA right now that are left, it's in the East. I don't have a problem with that. I, I think you could dang near go Philly. And they might be. I could listen to that argument. Absolutely. Might, you might I go one two, one, two, three East. But I think this is what we're going to get to here is, is that it's the bottom of the West because of the aging star power that's in the West. So if the t- you could make an argument that the top three teams that are in the East and then spots like four through where would the Cavs fit, not necessarily in terms of the health of the organization or, or how much you like the team, but just from the perspective of, like, is there a scenario where you can see the Cavaliers winning the NBA championship? To me, that seems too soon. Like, I don't, you're not making that step now. Conversely, like, could I see Golden State? Yeah. I could. I just saw it last year. I could see that for sure. But, Bo, I think the interesting part of that conversation is if the Cavs were in the West right now, not even mm-hmm. based on seeding, you could look at that and say, realistically, they could win the West. I don't have a problem with that. But I don't think you can say that about these because you're going to have to go through Milwaukee, assuming you beat the Knicks in the first round, and then in all likelihood, either the Sixers or the Celtics. Yes. Yeah. No, That's but that's the... That's the tricky thing is you could be the, – the East is so top-heavy and the West is just absurdly balanced. You could almost make a case – I mean, the eight's not coming out of the West. But, like, would you would, – I wouldn't be shocked if LeBron did it one more time and drug the Lakers through. I'm telling you right now the Lakers are going to beat Memphis. Well, yeah, I agree with and you And you know that. how I feel about that guy out there. I agree but with you. I, they're I think they're they playing too. really good. Yeah, and I think in a, in more rest in you know first round how, first round series lasts what six months? I mean, you, all of a sudden you're taking three weeks off between games, plenty of time to rest, and and him and him and AD in a, in a in a long series. I I don't know. I like that, and they sneakily got a lot better at the deadline when people thought that they really couldn't. Um, so they're, they're a lot more versatile. And Memphis is it's as you mentioned, Gibby. It's been a circus there the last two months. I still like Denver. I don't know where I I don't know where I'd put them in my power rankings, but their length and like when they were here in that overtime mm-hmm. game against us, my God, they've got some weapons. For sure, it's just 
they have to just you know they're at the point in in their gestation where they just have to go do it. Correct. Yeah, he's won back-to-back MVPs. Like it, it's time to go do it a little bit. So I think there's a little bit of pressure on them. Um, and then you think about Kawhi with the Clippers. You think about Durant in Phoenix, Golden State if healthy. Some of the Golden State numbers when they have their ideal five, it's it's stunning when they have their true starting five. And it sounds like they're gonna. I don't know what's exactly going on with Wiggins, but it sounds like they're gonna have them all in, in the way they'll I, go. I think Wiggins is coming off the bench. Game. Are one. they gonna bring him off? Yeah. 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 So. More versatility there for them. Yeah. I Do you guys feel like if the – I mean, I to me it feels like at the start of the year, one of the things that I do in the mornings is be, how are we going to judge a team, right? So what what I mean by that is, like with Buckeye football, you'll say national championship, you know, beat Michigan, win the Big Ten, judge them off of that, hold them to that standard. Like this year with the Cavs, to me, when I looked at the roster, I said, go get to the second round. Like I don't care what your record is in between now and then, but – to me, this should be a second-round team, and I do think, like, if they're not, as fun as this has all been, it ends up a little hollow. I think that's fair. I think you could look at it and say, once the Cavs got Donovan Mitchell, I think a lot of expectations changed. Not to title, but, I, Bo, I've been with you. I, I said all year that you got to get out of the first round because you hear the cliche all the time, well, you got to get there and lose before yeah. you can get there and win. But at the same time, if you followed that, like, step-by-step process – of at just advancing to the next level each year, you're talking a five-year thing here. So right. <laughs> you gotta win, gotta win a series this year. But next year, I think with the development of Mobley, you can talk about the Cavs at least contending to win the East. Um, Agreed. So, but I I look at this and I say for the Cavs, to your point, Bo, hollow, yes, disappointing, yes, but not necessarily a failure. Because no. I think you've seen a lot of people, and it's funny because we live in a uh, in a, a day and age now, where if you don't get what you want, people just consider it a failure. And a lot of good things have happened this year with the Cavs, where I just can't sit here and say total failure if you don't win. Chris, have you uh, are you old enough to have seen uh, a movie called The Big Lebowski? I am. Yes. <laughs> There's a, a scene where the dude. Jeffrey Lebowski is in a study with the millionaire Jeffrey Lebowski and the millionaire Jeffrey Lebowski says to the dude he hands him a slip and it's a ransom uh, for Bunny Lebowski's either sent a toe or something like that I can't remember the exact specifics but it's a ransom note Um, and the dude says it's a bummer man it's a bummer and that's what it would be if the I mean yeah it's not the end of the world if they don't get to the second round but it'd be a bummer man right exactly I want them I want them in the second round. I want it going like six games where it gets a little uncomfortable maybe at some point. Yeah. Is, I, is the NBA in, this, in the early rounds, is it 2-3-2 two, two, or is it 2-2-1-1-1? Two, two, one, one, one? I know they move it around a little bit. I can't yeah, remember if it's – I think the finals is still 2-2-1-1-1. Two, two, one, 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 I believe it is 2-2-1-1-1. Two, two, one, one, one. Throughout? Uh, at least I know for the, I'm looking at the first round. Okay. So they're two, two, one, one, one. Okay. So I think what you would want. Okay. So what I, I think would be ideal is if you could, I think in the first round, anything where you win is a win. I mean, a game seven here against the Knicks. Are you kidding me? That's unbelievable. Um, but anything playing, if you get to the point where you play Milwaukee, the value of playing like what would essentially be on a two, two, one, 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 a game six, here, even a game four here, you know, where that matters, 
a game four that matters would be really cool to play something like that. You know, down 2-1 or something like that and then sure. getting a win and even the season 2-2. There's a lot of value to that. And the only thing I would say, and I think it buttresses your point, Chris, like Donovan Mitchell's in his prime. Like, he's not three years from his prime. This is his prime. Right. So you do have to, not this year, but next year, you've got to go. And, and to that point, though, too, I wonder if in two years, let's say, Donovan Mitchell, I think the hope is that he's not the guy, and that's Evan Mobley. Sure. So imagine Donovan Mitchell still to- in his prime, but maybe toward the back of it. With him sure. not having to be the main focal point? Because, like, look, I don't think anybody would say... If the Cavs are going to go anywhere this year in the postseason, it's because of Donovan Mitchell. Like, he mm-hmm. is the guy. Yes. But moving forward, you hope and you you want that to be Evan Mobley because of all of the comparisons we've already heard here in the first couple of seasons. And I have to say, in the back half of the year, really since the All-Star break, so the last 20-plus games, I think Evan Mobley has taken a ton of leaps in his game. Yeah, for sure. And but he's just not there yet to to lead a team in, in the postseason. No, I mean they they set up they're set up so well because they can go from the absolute apex of Donovan Mitchell's prime to hopefully at that same time Garland when by the time he's going right. out of that Garland and Mobley are going into it. So they're they're set up that way very very well. All right, good stuff, buddy. Always good talking to you. Coming up Always next. Fun. A little bit uh, a highlight from the BPA as we sit down with uh, Assistant General Manager Glenn Cook. You listen to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by BallyBet. Coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. The NFL Draft just a couple of weeks away now. A lot of the heavy lifting already done. It's about organizing thoughts. One of the men who's going to organize some of ours around here is Assistant General Manager Glenn Cook. Here he is one-on-one with Gibbe in an excerpt from the BPA. Let's get right into it, Glenn. It, from a free agency standpoint, uh, you, you take a look. You guys have been very active mm-hmm. over the past month and a half. and It, it may have taken a few more days than maybe – I know the fan base was yeah. clamoring for yeah. some things right away, but it, you know, given the current contract situations uh, and whatnot with this football team, things we're going to have to develop, especially on the market side. When you go to put together free agency, is there a big board similar to what you see with the draft in your big board that you put together? Short answer, yes. I mean, the first thing we do is kind of try to step back, look at our own team, right? So closer to the end of the season, early January, you kind of want to zoom out, be as objective and honest with yourself as possible and say, hey, what are we, where do we need to get better? You know, where do we need to make some improvements if we're trying to make the playoffs and compete for championships? So we kind of started, start, started there, um, really assessed, you know, who we are, who we were and, and where we want to go. And then, yeah, you start to build it out. Then you look at the marketplace. You look at who's available. Everyone knows who's a free agent, um, you know, who's an RFA, um, you know, who potentially could be available for a trade, which we'll probably talk about. Um, and then you just you, you try to map out, okay, what, where's that nice blend of we need this, we want this, and this is available, right? And so that's kind of how we just approached it. That's a real probably simplistic way of describing it. Um, and we do that over the course of, you know, really two to three months. Um, 
as a group and, you know, just run through a bunch of different exercises and really challenge ourselves to make sure we, we know who's out there and, and, you know, what's going to be the best avenue to, to add them to our team. And, and then, you know, you end up, yeah, writing, writing a bunch of checks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, obviously. We don't have to do yeah. that. Someone else does that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but you guys set it all up and yeah. where no, the dominoes fall. Uh, I love the process because you, the thing about free agency is, you, you know, you plan all the way to Z and you just don't know, you know. Like, you know, there's different factors, different different drivers for these for these men as they make these decisions. And we just we try to stay as agile as possible. I think Andrew has talked about that, just being adaptable and, trying to be as agile as possible in these situations and, and go get dudes we want, you know, we want in Cleveland. All right. So you guys start working with your, with your scouts mm-hmm. and, and your, your analytics people. And, and just, it's, it's a very collaborative process, but then you, then you meet with the coach yeah. and you've got two new coordinators yeah. that you're also throwing into the mix on that in a new defensive coordinator and a new special teams coordinator. What what is the process of that? Are you bringing in position coaches as well in that situation? Or? So with Kevin, it's, I mean, with the offensive side, it's e- it was easy, right? Like Kevin's here. Um, that's an ongoing conversation, right? You're always talking about your team week to week. You know, partly um, trying to make sure you have what you need in season to perform and uh, play as well as you can on each side of the ball. But then as you're evaluating, you're you're just constantly checking the pulse of coach, uh, both coaches, both coordinators. Um, to get a sense of like, hey, you know, I really need this. You know, this will really put us in a good spot as a unit. Um, and, you know, bringing in Jim a little bit later probably makes that a little bit tougher. But, you know, he's pretty clear and definitive of what he wants. So it, expedite, Sounds that way. <laughs> it expedited the process for us. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's like you said, it's collaborative. We're, we're always working together in, in, in conversation. I mean, on every move on every move even still as we're working through some of the the guys who are potentially still available um on the street as we call it uh we're constantly like, hey jim you know can you take a peek or kev what do you think about this guy do you think he fits um you know whether it's adding depth or you know, some, like, you know there's just some guys that are still out there for for a various amount of reasons so it's great you know the communication is important um because not only talent but you do want to make sure the fit is good you know, I think that's really important. So you have to talk to the coaches to make sure, like, hey, this guy's going to fit, right? You want to make sure this works. Along those lines of, of making it a fit, and we'll get into the draft process and, and the interviews, but uh, something that I've heard you mention over the, over the last few months is that second and third-hand info and, like, information about the player as a person. You know, how much of – an impact is that in terms of your free agency uh because you have guys there's a certain window that you can start talking to players and talking to their agents and it's got to be a quick turnaround in some instances so is it the same amount of research going into finding out about their background and who they are as much as it is what they've done on the field like we say information is king like it's it's important it's it's like a strong amount of currency in our business so you know, first, the foundation is set really by the college process. Um, you know, we change and evolve as, as, as people and, and humans, but kind of you are who you are at your core. So we do lean on like, hey, you know, three, four years ago, this is what we knew about this person. And you just kind of build off that. So it's a fine line because you, 
you know, you, you reach out to your connects, but they're also sometimes trying to keep guys in their building. So, you, you know, you just you try to absorb and acquire as much information about, you know, how they've grown or maintained or maybe still been stagnant in their growth as NFL players. And just you lump it into the pie, right? It's, it's, just, it's just a big soup that you're just trying to figure out, like, hey, how's this guy going to fit into our organization? Because he may have fit in the place he was at, or he may not have fit well into that place. But for us, you know, we actually think it's it's, it's a better fit or, or a worse fit. So it's definitely important to make sure. And one of the things we talk about is, you know, once, once, once they get out of college, you don't want to change and ask guys not to do what they've done well. Like Dalvin Tomlinson has been really good at doing what he does. Like <laughs> yeah. we're not going to ask him, you know, to turn into a different player. We want him to come here and, and, and be great. In, in the manner that he's been great. So it's really important to make sure we, we lock in on that on and off the field because that's that's a big piece and we found success in that formula. And let's go into some of these guys that, that we've gone out and acquired here over the, over the past month. It's been a flurry of guys. As I mentioned, the first few days were quiet, but I think it's I think that was that way for a lot of teams around the National Football League this year, just kind of wanting to see where the market was going to be set at. And then you had the opportunity to go in, and of course you guys had a plan. You were prepared, and you took care of business relatively quickly. It starts with Dalvin Tomlinson at defensive tackle. On the edge, uh, it's Ogbo. Did I have that right? Ogbo? Yeah, sure. Ogbo. We call Dom, him Dom, Dom's, w- <laughs> Dom's saying yes. Just call him O. <laughs> I, literally, every day, we have the conversation on Browns Daily. So how do we say it again? How do we say it? Just call him out. Just call him out. I like that. So, and then on the defensive side as well, a couple other guys, uh, rotational type players on the defensive line, but you also go out and get a safety in Juan Thornhill. So three big pieces that you've gone out and acquired. Can you talk a little bit about them and, and what you guys liked about them? Yeah, I'll start up front because we, you know, for us that was, as you can see, a point of emphasis, um, not only because of where we are or were as a team, but just because of how important we think it is to be really good up front, um, like I said, to compete you know, in the National Football League. So Dalvin was big, um, literally and figuratively. He's a big man. Um, he controls the interior part of the, the line of scrimmage. And we wanted to really you know, make sure we solidified the front and supported Miles and some of our younger guys who are still growing and developing. So Dalvin fit that, you know, I think. As you'll probably get to know, he's just as get off the field um, as a leader setting an example as he is on the field making plays. So um, to kind of have him as the uh, cornerstone of the free agent process this year, I would say, is, is probably a pretty good sign. Um, we want you, you want guys like him. So he really he was really he really was a good get and really important for us to get. And then, oh, I mean, probably a little underrated. Uh, you know, we're excited about him. We'll see. You know, we're excited about what he can do. He probably had one of the best years, if not the best years of his career. So we're going to continue to put him in a spot to do what he does well. Like the dude gets after the quarterback. He's relentless. Second half of the season, he was one of the top yeah. edge rushers in the National Football League. Absolutely. And so, you know, that's the next piece, right? Like when you can affect these really, really good quarterbacks in the division we play in and the conference we play in, period, the league. Um, gives you a better chance. And so, um, you know, hopefully him, Miles, Dalvin, and, and the crew can get get after these dudes we're about to face next year. So, um, 
being able to get him and, and hopefully, you know, catch him on the uptick was was really good for us. And then, yeah, Juan, like, you know, sometimes as you just want good football players. You know, the guy the guy's won two Super Bowls. Um, he's anchored the back end of a pretty good secondary in Kansas City. Um, he fits the skill set we want. Uh, the dude has range. He makes plays on the ball. He can run. He brings energy. Um, you'll see, you know, you, maybe you've seen a little bit. He has a lot of personality. Uh, he brings juice in that way. So, again, like, you want to be as deep, versatile, and as talented as you can with the way offense is played in this league. So, being able to bring him in, you know, like you said, it wasn't wasn't the first wave, and it kind of kind of just ended up being a fit, right? Like, he wanted to be here. We wanted him here. Uh, we figured it out, you know, so – it looks like we were intentional about fixing the defense in, in some ways, but honestly, we were just trying to acquire like really good guys. Like you, you don't want to overthink it and, and and be too myopic in the sense of, you know, we need this position, we need this player. Sure. You know, sometimes you just want to be as talented as you can as well. So that's how it played out. Great stuff out of Glenn. Great stuff out of Gibby. You can watch the rest of that and more episodes of the BPA at youtube.com slash Brown. So much more to come. You listen to Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by Bally Bet coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by Bally Bet coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. All right, welcome back here to Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by Ballybet, coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. So we're going to have a fun week next week. We've got players in the building. First time we've seen them since the end of the year. First time we've seen some of these guys at all. Um, so that part will be very, very exciting. Hopefully we have some guys stop by the studio. We have some pressers available next week as well. We're going to have coaches and GMs and everything, right? It's the pre-draft 30-minute presser where we learn nothing. Nothing. <laughs> With, to their Especially credit. Especially in the third to round. To their credit. You know, maybe they'll be a little more open because it's third round. You know? Because you're not going to – you can't yeah, I mean, tip a, you know what? I, you know who I want to hear from? I want to hear from Coach talking about our free agent signings. I want to yeah. hear – Yeah, that's the you know what stuff. About our pieces that we've, that we've acquired here in the last month. I agree. Yeah, that's the headliner. Folks, have a great weekend. Looks like it's going to be a good one for us. The next level is coming up next. Thanks for listening, everybody. Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by Ballybet. Coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. You've been listening to Cleveland Browns Daily, a production of the Cleveland Browns and 850 ESPN Cleveland.